Welcome to the second season of the Call Her CEO podcast. This podcast is brought to you by the Ted Rogers Student Society and highlights the experiences of female identifying entrepreneurs and senior business leaders. My name is Hassan Zamari, and I'll be your host for the Call Her CEO podcast this season. I'd like to welcome today's guest, Amrita Bala. So Amrita is an accomplished senior HR executive with over 20 years of experience. Her background includes senior HR roles in the luxury hospitality industry with the following brands, Four Seasons Hotels and Resorts, Oberoi Hotels and Resorts, and Belmont Hotels. Prior to starting her career in the hospitality industry, Amrita worked in HR consulting with PricewaterhouseCoopers. Amrita has lived and worked in Canada, Bermuda, United Kingdom, Thailand, and India. Her geographic work experience also includes the U.S., Middle East, and the Caribbean. In 2015, Amrita founded AV Consulting, specializing in HR advisory services for clients across a multitude of sectors, including hospitality. She specializes in the areas of performance management, talent engagement, and retention, learning, and development, strategic planning, and service standards development. Amrita is a board member for the Caribbean Hospitality and Tourism Association Education Fund, as well as a member of the People Development Committee for the CHTA. Amrita joined Ryerson University in 2015, teaching human resources and management and organizational behavior. She holds a master's in industrial relations and a bachelor of arts from Queen's University. So with that, I'd like to welcome Amrita. Thank you for joining us today. Husna, thank you so much. It's great to be here and thank you for the kind introduction. I really appreciate the invitation to join join you. So thank you, Tina and Chantal for the invitation. I'm very excited to be here. Yes, for sure. And it's really nice to also have someone who actually teaches at Ryerson to be on the podcast. So that's one of the reasons that I was very excited to have you on board. And to start off, why don't you walk us through your career journey that kind of led up to founding your own consulting company and then eventually teaching at Ryerson? Okay, great question. And I'll try to keep it, uh, I'll try to keep this under five minutes. <laughs> um, so um, as you, you know, as you mentioned, I, I studied industrial relations, my focus was really on human resources management uh, during my master's program, and, you know, always interested in really the psychology of work and what that what that means to each of us and what we want from our work lives and the motivation behind that. i felt that the, the easiest way to start in that space was through consulting, which is where I started my career with PricewaterhouseCoopers in Toronto. And then I also worked with them in Bermuda. And I wanted to do that because I wasn't quite sure which industry I wanted to go into. So consulting gives you a really free, you know, broad-based approach um, to look at a multiple number of industries. And plus, I really wanted international experience. That was a fundamental, like kind of a core component for me with my career journey. Mm-hmm. Thereafter, I ended up working with Four Seasons Hotels and Resorts in their human resources group in learning and development and uh, recruitment. And that came about as a referral from a friend. I actually had never thought about working in the hospitality industry, although I love to travel. And uh, a friend had recommended this role. I went in, I interviewed. Um, I actually had plans to, you're going to laugh, to move to Paris, <laughs> learn French. And my, my real passion is art history. And I wanted to, you know, I wanted to spend some time in Paris studying that space because somewhere there was a far off dream about, you know, being an art curator. So anyhow, um, bringing it back. And so my manager at the time said to me, he said, listen, why don't you give this job a year? If you don't like it, I totally understand. And, and you never know, you might like it. I fell in love with the job. I stayed with Four Seasons for five years, five amazing years, and really feel very blessed to have gotten my training from really what I consider to be, you know, a world-class leader in 
hospitality. I was then approached by the Oberoi Group in India to come in and run their human resources department. So that was about 12,000 employees in their hotels. Their portfolio was primarily in Asia, Middle East and Africa. Mm-hmm. Um, so I thought this is a great opportunity for me to, you know, take advantage of a different part of the world, obviously being of Indian heritage you know, there was an excitement to kind of reconnect, um, you know, with with the country as well. So I went um, and I did that role for a few years. I was on an expatriate assignment. Uh, I then moved to Thailand briefly uh, with a company called Onyx and then to England with Orient Express. So my experience has really been in the luxury hospitality space. I returned to Toronto in 2014 and I gave birth to my son. And at that point, you know, I was in a corporate role. I was working with um, Porter Airlines and Bottom line, the flexibility that I was looking for was not something that was going to be able to be accommodated by the corporate world. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I understood that at the same point, I think any woman that wants to have a successful career and, and family life is often conflicted uh, or faced with these decisions. And I knew entrepreneurship was in my path at some point, And I decided to um, start my own company. And I cannot believe that we are going to be six years old this year. It's phenomenal. I haven't looked back. It's been um, incredible. And then also in 2015, I connected with Frederick and they mentioned they were looking for someone to teach HR. I jumped at the opportunity because I've been very grateful to my education and I always wanted to give back to the education community. And so that's where I started teaching HR. I did organizational behavior. Now I'm actually teaching strategic management and hospitality as well. So I love being a part of the Ryerson team. Hopefully that answers it all. I'm, I'm very jealous of how well-traveled you are. I'd love to, to visit some of those countries as well. But um, I know you mentioned that you weren't originally planning on working in the luxury hospitality industry, but what really attracted you about that space to, to stay and to continue your career in it? I think as an HR professional, you know, I was never interested in what I would call transactional HR. You know, mm-hmm. I, I wasn't interested in, oh, here's payroll, you know, here's benefits, here's kind of like the day-to-day HR. Uh, my aspirations for human resources were always bigger. They were strategic. They were really fundamentally about understanding what companies can do to retain, engage, and motivate people. You know, that requires looking at, at, a, at a bigger set of programming. Um, and so that fascinated me. I also always believed that, you know, HR should be a strategic business partner. And so the companies that I chose to work for, I always made sure HR sat at the executive committee level, like it didn't report in through finance or, you know, didn't report in through legal, which sometimes, you know, it happens. Mm -hmm. And the beauty of the hospitality industry is it combined personal passions and, and professional focus. I love travel and always knew I wanted a career that would allow me to see the world and learn from different cultures. And quite frankly, hospitality is probably the most people intensive industry out there. As an HR professional, you want to work, you know, in an industry where there's such a strong focus on on people. And when you look at hotels, right, it's a 24-7 business. I mean, mm-hmm. the bricks and walls mean nothing unless they're, you know, staffed appropriately with the people that are engaged and, you know, providing great service and making memorable experiences for guests. So all of that have really appealed to me. Mm-hmm. And so through working, you know, for these different companies across the world, really, how did working in those countries compare to when you were situated in Canada? Yeah, um, you know, I think I'm so lucky in that sense to have sort of, you know, grown up in Canada, because we hear this all the time that we are, 
you know, we are such a diverse and inclusive country. So mm-hmm. for me growing up, it was, it was incredible to have exposure to so many different cultures and, and walks of life. And I think the philosophy by which also, you know, my parents raised my brother and I, which was to just always have, you know, an open mind and be curious, made me feel very confident that, um, you know, wherever I would end up, I'd be okay. And so I, you know, moving around, I think, you know, understanding different cultures. I remember, you know, even traveling to the Middle East, you know, Dubai and Doha and, you know, better understanding local customs. How do we build, you know, hotels? What are some of, you know, the cultural and religious requirements in different parts of the world? I loved it. I I thought this was really such great education and, you know, through meeting candidates and different employees and interacting with your local teams, you learn so much more um, as well, you know, not just about the destination, but the way of life. So I, I think my adaptability is something that I've always considered to be a pretty good strength. A lot of my friends would always say, oh my God, you're just going to go like that and move to like Thailand or move to India. And I was like, yep, I am, <laughs> you know, and you build a life and, you know, you have to sort of, you know, create, create a space for yourself. And so that's beyond just work as well. And, you know, I enjoyed that challenge. So, mm-hmm. and so on your journey to, you know, working as a, a senior business leader and mm-hmm. then eventually an entrepreneur, when you, when you started your own consulting company, were there any times where you felt like underestimated or maybe sort of an imposter syndrome as as a woman of color or even just a woman to be honest 100% 100% let me start by you know what i experienced maybe more in the corporate world um yeah. i was always the youngest member of the executive team mm-hmm. okay and um i think you know i was running hr for a 12,000 employee organization when i was 34 Okay. And so I can, I can tell you that when I was dealing with colleagues that were a little bit more traditional in their thinking, you know, certainly wondered how and why I was in the position that I was. So I had Mm -hmm. a lot more to prove. I often felt that pressure. I was also the only woman on a lot of these executive teams, which meant that I had to always fight a little bit harder. Um, But to be very honest, when I decided to take these roles, I made sure that when I was interviewing with my boss and with leadership, that I asked them very specifically about, you know, women in leadership positions, right? And their commitment to focusing on developing women in the workplace. Like these were important questions for me to have. And so that's, that's the experience in in the corporate side. I think on the imposter, I, I, I sometimes was left feeling a bit insecure being like, you know, I know I'm, I'm younger than most, but I, I, you know, I have every right to be here. I do know what I'm, what I'm doing, but it definitely creates some moments of insecurity. And also to go back as, as a woman of color, mm-hmm. I think, I think, you know, an element of color does show up, but it's, it's, it's much more subconscious, right. Or, mm-hmm. or you can't necessarily read it, but you can feel it in a room. I, I don't know how to really get into it. I had one senior executive once at an organization comment openly in an executive meeting about, you know, people from, for example, being India being towel heads right Um, and and I remember and the reason I remember that with such clarity is I found that comment to be very jarring Mm -hmm. Um, I'm Sikh you know my father wears a turban Um, and not that I took it personally but I think I was appalled that at that level in an organization a global organization that you know we had someone that that even 
made such comments or such references. And that was deeply mm -hmm. troubling to me. And it just lets you know the lens by which maybe they see life, right? Or other people. And when you're running a global business and you're dealing with people across different cultures, you want to make sure that people have cultural sensitivity uh, around sure. that. So definitely some disillusioned moments um, in, in, in the corporate world, but also some incredible moments with leaders that really supported me and allowed my work to speak for itself. As an entrepreneur, you just have to kind of get out there and, and do what you need to do and let the work speak for itself. You know, it's, it's a different model, right? Because you're going out there and you're not just doing the work, but you're responsible for business development and revenue and sales. And mm -hmm. so, you know, my branding, how I present myself, letting the work speak for itself, you know, there's, there's a stronger push on that. It's not like there's a paycheck, right? Every two weeks or whatnot. But uh, again, I think, you know, it's, I, I like to think of it that the business has grown as successfully as it has because we've been able to have, you know, authentic relationships um, and, you know, um, again, just, just letting the work speak for itself. So, so less of the imposter syndrome um, and maybe more just belief that, you know, the entrepreneur hustle will work. And quite frankly, I'm, I'm so happy and so grateful that we're here six years and, you know, we're planning to, to grow some more from here. And so it's been a lot of hard work. <laughs> but for sure. And, so cool. and congrats on your, your six year anniversary because Thank you. that in and of itself is a really big accomplishment, especially now during um, the pandemic where a lot of businesses have taken a, a big hit. And so mm -hmm. that's, that's kind of leading to what I wanted to talk about as well, the the hospitality industry obviously would be one of the ones that would be affected most by by the COVID nineteen pandemic. And so, I want to know: Have you seen any of that change in your own like consulting work, or just from your colleagues as well? Like, how do you think that really affected the industry on a on a higher level? Yeah, Lusna, it has been so heartbreaking to see what's happened to the hospitality industry you know, during the pandemic. And it's heartbreaking to see, you know, an industry that brings so much joy, right, to people's lives, mm -hmm. to see livelihoods be impacted, see people lose jobs, you know, I have friends that own restaurants, and people I know that run hotels. And, you know, I think it's been just brutal. I also was never really comfortable with how travel got labeled during this pandemic, you know, um, as the be all end all source of problems. And it wasn't I travel through the pandemic. Mm -hmm. I was fine, you know, uh, felt safe, took all the necessary precautions. So, you know, it's one of those situations where I think, you know, there's, there's a lot to build back. I certainly think there's a lot of pent up demand where people want to travel. I'm talking to parents right now that are all, everyone's just ready to get out for March break, right? And fingers crossed, everything is safe and, you know, life can get back to normal. But there's a huge talent shortage. There's disillusionment with the industry, with what happened globally to people wanting, wondering if they should even build careers in this space, mm -hmm. right? And this is something that, you know, there's open dialogue about this, even with students in hospitality and tourism that are studying in the program. Yeah. You know, did I make the right choice? What kind of job will I have? What kind of career path is out there for me? And my advice is stick with it. This industry is not going anywhere you know, skill up, stick with it. And um, it's gonna, it's gonna bounce back and it's gonna bounce back stronger than ever before. For sure. And so, so through the HR lens, do you mm -hmm. think that there's been any major changes in the employer or employee mindset as a result of the pandemic? Because personally, I've seen uh, from the employee side, like a lot of people taking major career changes or shifts or, you know, reprioritizing their career. 
from this pandemic. So I wanted to to kind of get your perspective on if you've noticed any of that as well. Um, yeah, you know, I think I think in general, I think people are much more empathetic, right, with everything that we've been through. I mean, this has been a universal, you know, struggle that's taken place. I think that we're learning to work differently. I mean, you're, you're probably also familiar with this, you know, term great resignation, right, where people are leaving jobs to really find what they're passionate about and, you know, meaning in their life. I mean, how could we not given the amount of time we've probably had to reflect, right? And so I think in that sense, I like the idea of the great awakening, but I think the commitment to health and safety, and I mean that specifically, not just, you know, pandemic protocols, but looking after each other, um, looking after each other's, you know, emotional health, mental well-being, looking out for those sort of signals in our colleagues where, you know, if something's up, I think for the first time, you know, the lines between professional and personal blurred and and they had to because, you know, people were often either working from home or dealing with different pressures or had been Mm -hmm. laid off. And so I think, you know, if collectively, if our collective conscious can, can bring us to a place where we're much more understanding of each other genuinely, then, then I think that, you know, from an HR perspective, it is going to change the way in which we engage with each other and that we work. So employers have to be aware of that as well. Mm -hmm. And so the pandemic was also really like an opportunity for innovation, I would say. Um, Even within the university, I know we were kind of forced to all become a bit more technologically comfortable um, Mm -hmm. as a result of things moving online. So within the HR and hospitality industries, what what are some of the biggest trends you would say happened as a result of the pandemic or are currently happening? So in HR and hospitality, I think in terms of trends, it's about getting employees back into the workplace, um, attracting staff. Uh, I was in Miami a few weeks ago and, you know, it was really interesting just talking to some HR colleagues there who were telling me that they're offering all sorts of bonuses. I remember there's the four seasons in Miami that was offering, you know, like 500 to $1,000 sign-on bonuses for security, um, for food and beverage staff. They just can't find people. Mm -hmm. Some people have chosen to exit the industry completely. Other other people are also just hopping. Do you know what I mean? They're just like, oh, new brand, new hotel looks exciting. Oh, I could make a few dollars there. And so I think, again, employers have to really focus on how do I make sure that I'm creating a workplace that makes me an employer of choice, you know, and that people want to stay? Um, because if you have this kind of high turnover, it's not going to be successful for any organization. And quite frankly, I think, you know, jumping around this much from an employee perspective can't be good either. I think we're seeing, you know, more of a push around fair compensation, right, and benefits. Um, I think we're seeing, you know, broader programming focus on employees. Here's an interesting example. There's a company called Hoot Reading that provides, you know, online learning and reading for young children. Mm-hmm. And one of the interesting things that happened in the pandemic is that they signed contracts with a bunch of companies and, and got this guided reading program, which has a live teacher on the other end, as part of a benefits package. Because employees were working from home, schools were closed. Obviously, as you know, in Ontario, we had it the worst. And so here's what happened. Companies said, you know, how do we support employees more holistically? And so I'm just sharing one example. They provided access to this online learning and reading program for children through their benefits package. I mean, it's brilliant, Mm -hmm. right? Um, So I think we're going to get creative around benefits. It's not just like, oh, here's your medical, here's your dental. You know, I think we have to think about things more from a from a wellness perspective as well. So yeah, I think those would be those would be the the trends, you know, around talent resourcing, engagement, 
compensation, broader benefits offerings um, as well. And again, a continued focus on health and safety. For sure. And kind of moving back to you, you teaching at Ryerson, what was that experience like shifting from more of the you know corporate side of the industry to, to the educational sector? You know, I think, I think it's always been at my core because even in HR, a lot of my work was in training. So I've, I've come to realize that that's probably my natural strength, you know, like I, I like the idea of being an educator. I love the idea, you know, and I, and I do so enjoy my interactions with students and hearing their perspective. It keeps me current, right? It, it makes me feel relevant. And also just the dialogue, you know, I think uh, I know what mattered to me when I was in university and I know who some of my p- favorite profs were and why right? They engaged and they tried to meet you at your level, right? And try to identify with everything that you're going through. So I really try and sort of apply some of those those learnings. And again, you know, I want to make sure people also stay focused and encouraged about the hospitality and tourism industry, because it is a wonderful place to be. I think it's going to, it's going to look a little bit different. You know, we were just talking in class earlier this week about how tour operators and destination marketing organizations might just end up being a thing of the past, right? Um, and, And we'll see much more around direct delivery from hotels around travel experiences. I mean, look at, look at Marriott as a company. Marriott now no longer even brands themselves as a hotel company. Mm -hmm. If you go online to Marriott, they are a travel and experience company. I mean, that's a huge pivot. And that's driven primarily through Marriott Bonvoy, their, their loyalty program. And they've been a client of mine as well. Right. So, you know, I have a little bit more insight, but it's, it's, it's pretty amazing what, and again, hotel companies have to be much more creative as well in terms of their outreach. Mm-hmm. And was there ever a moment while you were teaching or through your experience teaching or an anecdote that, that really touched your heart where you felt, ah, this is worth it. <laughs> All this work with these students is worth it. Yeah, I'll be, I'll be really honest. I think the notes that I get from students mm-hmm. you know, at the end of a class or at the end of a term are really lovely, you know, and I also like to follow their careers, right? And so I think for me, you know, and the students that stay engaged with me also that send me updates, you know, when they're moving jobs or moving on, I love to hear that. And so, yeah, I think, I think when, when, when students tell me they genuinely enjoyed the content, right, and learned something or walked away with knowledge, it's helpful, because you know, on the flip side, sometimes, and again, but you'll go to places like rate my professor, or someone will tell you, you know, and (laughs) here's the thing, I'm a tough professor, I'm not here to give out free marks. Mm -hmm. But you know, some of that, some of that commentary, you know, you almost can't pay too much attention to it. So I have to, you know, my compass is around the feedback I'll get directly from from students. And I know the ones that are working hard, right? It's it's not a bird course. That's that's not who I am. I always appreciated professors that had higher standards because mm-hmm. um, I feel like that's really how I learned and how I achieved. And, and that's, you know, that's what I want to also set out because I want all of these students to be successful in the workplace. And because I have obviously insights into how the corporate world works and, you know, how high the standards can be that I want to set up you know, as many of the students as I can for success. Mm -hmm, For sure. And before we move on to our our rapid fire section, is there any advice that you would 
provide to the audience or to just in general women entering the, the job force or are in the early stages of their career based on your own experiences? Sure. I Again, a great question, Hasna. I think I would like to encourage women to be aware of their brand, to professionally present their brand, to not feel timid, to stay strong, to stay focused and find a really great mentor. You know, mm-hmm. find a really great mentor. Doesn't have to be a woman. My mentor is a woman. My mentor is, you know, the uh, ex-CEO of Four Seasons Hotels and Resorts. I've known her forever and she gives me the best advice uh, and sometimes the toughest advice. And I know that it's it's been a big part of my journey and my success. And so it could be, you know, it could be someone you've worked with. It could be a prof. It could be, you know, it could be someone in a future organization that you're in. But I think that that's really important. Too often I see women that are, that under, under promote themselves. And mm-hmm. I think, you know, you have to find that healthy balance. I'm not talking about going out there and being a complete narcissist, but I think you have to be confident, right? And I think you have to speak with assurance. And I think you also have to let future employers know that the cause of, of women and their advancement in the workplace is important for you. Mm-hmm. So, so asking the question, what are organizations doing to support women in the workplace is really important. Yeah, for sure. The The impact of mentorship is like Huge. really can be life-changing. Our, our first episode actually for season two was, was discussing that. So it's really nice to hear you kind of express those feelings as well. So now moving on to, to our yeah. rapid fire session, we're going to have 10 super quick, super fun questions for you, Amrita. Yeah. So are you ready? I'm ready. I love these. Starting off, what is your favorite song at the moment? Oh my goodness. Um, hold on. There's so many. I feel like I like have listened to the entire Spotify um, <laughs> library. You know what? Right now I've been going through a, uh, it was Bob Marley's birthday recently. And I was also in the Caribbean on a work trip. So I've been listening to a lot of his, a lot of his albums recently. So I don't have a specific song. Sun is Shining is always good, but. Nice. I've been I've been in a in a Bob Marley phase for sure, and I I guess the best place to be listening to Bob Marley would be in the Caribbean. So. I know, yeah. <laughs> nice. Um, so my second question is, you know, you worked in so many different amazing countries with these rich cultures, but if you could live in any other country in the world other than Canada, where would you choose? Paris. Paris, <laughs> gonna live out that that dream that you had. I will. Sure, I will. Yeah. That sounds great. And moving on, are you a coffee or tea person? 100%. Well, both, but yes, coffee. Coffee, for sure. And I believe you were saying earlier that there was a study that you had heard about about drinking coffee. You know, yeah, I was just reading it on, it's on the BBC's Instagram feed today about how coffee can actually make you live longer. So, you know, I'll uh, I'll take it. Uh, (laughs) I'll, uh, I think, let me just see. It says, oh, it was on the Daily Telegraph. It says, Drinking three cups of coffee, of ground coffee a day, not instant, may help you live longer. Maybe we should all have a cup of coffee now. There we go. (laughs) Then my next question is, what is your favorite month of the year? September. September. Any particular reason? Family, birthdays, love fall. And I love the start of that year. You know, I think I Mm -hmm. always remember the excitement of school starting, but I really love September. For sure. And then my fifth question is, what is one thing from your bucket list? You know, uh, again, so many of the things on my bucket list are, 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 are 
travel inspired. So I really wanted to go on the hot air balloons rides that are over Cappadocia in Turkey. Oh yeah. Oh my God. That's on my like bucket list as well. Yeah. That to me has always, I mean, I think, you know, I'm always inspired by the pictures, but that's mm-hmm. something I really, really want to do. Well, if you ever decide to go, make sure to bring me along. <laughs> I will. I like to know. Who's now. Um, so moving on, name one of your guilty pleasures. Chocolate. Chocolate. Yeah, for sure. Has that. <laughs> that's one of mine as well. What is the one TV show you're currently watching? I am watching a show called The Great and it's on Prime and it's about the ascent of Catherine the Great. Because I was a history major, I love like historical dramas. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's a great cast, um, actually mostly British actors, but it's a beautiful show about, and it's filmed beautifully and it's got gorgeous locations and costumes. And so, yeah, it's, uh, it's about learning you know, how Catherine the Great ascended to power. There you go. Women in leadership. I actually would love to check that out because I also enjoy some good, you know, historical dramas. Mm-hmm. Um, well, something had to come after Bridgerton. So I, yeah. uh, you know, <laughs> it was the great. Fill in the gap for sure. And so the next question is, what was your favorite subject in school? Oh, art history. I loved art, art history. Sure. I still do. Yeah. Yeah. But do you like, do you like collecting art as well? I can't afford it, but yes, one day <laughs> I hope to, but I love, you know, galleries and, and, and museums. And so mm-hmm. again, before, you know, I went into HR, I had, you're going to laugh, but I had actually applied for a master's of fine and decorative art with Sotheby's and I was accepted into the program. I went and did the exam in New York and I was accepted. And then I had to tell my parents it was going to cost $30,000 a year. And they just kind of oh laughed. Oh my and God. Said, we just paid for your education. They're like, what are you going to do with this degree? So, you know, I got as far as I could with that, but mm-hmm. I do love to, you know, get to art festivals and get to museums and galleries. I, I really enjoy it. For sure. And so what is one piece of advice you would give your younger self? My younger self. I think I would, I would say to my younger self that be balanced with your ambition. Mm-hmm. Be more balanced with your ambition. I was, and, and you know, I was always very driven, and I was very ambitious. And I think maybe I put some things that should have been probably more important on, on you know, on the personal agenda ahead, um, or balance them a little bit more. And um, I think having my son, who's now seven years old, has really showed me that. And I also encourage women that you know, if, if having a family is important to you, then don't ever you know, forego that for your career or, or a job. Like you, you, when I say you can have it all, you can, it may be going at different speeds at different times of your life. Um, but, you know, the more balanced you are as an individual, I think the more successful you are. For sure. And I feel like that hustler lifestyle is kind of getting a bit overrated and more people are finding value and having a, like a balanced lifestyle where, you know, their world doesn't just revolve around their work which is nothing wrong with that. But, you know, it's nice to have other things on the side as well. I think so. I think, you know, also with slowing down in the pandemic, you know, people, whatever it was, maybe you listened to podcasts, maybe you rediscovered music, maybe you read more books, you Mm -hmm. know, I think there was some element of understanding yourself better. And if you didn't have that, then, you know, this time you failed this time in that sense, Mm -hmm. right? Um, and so I think we have to keep those learnings, you know, top of mind and make sure we keep carving that time out for ourselves too, for sure, whatever that might be. Yeah. 
definitely. And so our last question for the rapid fire is, what is the best dish that you can cook if you do cook? <laughs> OMG. Well, I will say that um, I tried to practice my culinary skills over the pandemic. They weren't great. I do make a one. I, I make a really great spaghetti and meatballs. I know it's basic. <laughs> But um, that and the other day, I also made a fantastic leek soup. Ooh, nice. Mm-hmm. Some, sometimes simple, simple is the best. When, when yeah, cook simple in under 20 minutes is good for me. <laughs> for sure. Especially with, with kids. Yeah. So with that, we can wrap up the rapid fire session. I would just like to end off by saying thank you so much, Amrita, for joining us today. It was a genuine pleasure chatting with you. And I, I think I got a lot of insight from our conversation. Husna, thank you so much. I really appreciate, you know, the group inviting me to join. It was a pleasure speaking with you. And thank you for your for your thoughtful questions um, as well. And I think this is such a wonderful initiative. So keep up the great work. Thank you all. I really appreciate it. Thank you for that. Um, I would also like to thank our podcast coordinator, Tina Tran, who works behind the scenes, as well as the Ted Rogerson Society for making this podcast possible. I hope the audience, you all enjoyed this episode. Make sure to stay tuned to our Instagram at callherceopodcast or our website, trssociety.ca slash calls dash her dash CEO for the next episode of the podcast. Thank you and see you next time. Mm-hmm.